Hi, welcome to Sustain Talks, the podcast crafted to enlighten individuals and businesses on their path to becoming more sustainable and socially responsible. I'm Sam Candy, CEO of Responsible Futures, where we support businesses through consulting, training, webinars and masterclasses. Today, I'm delighted to be in conversation with Abby Chicken. Abby is the Head of Sustainability at OpenReach, the UK's digital network business. Abby is also a board trustee of Surrey Wildlife Trust, and we've got loads to talk about. Welcome, Abby. So good to have you here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. So much to go through, but let's start with a bit of background about you and your role as Head of Sustainability at OpenReach. Sure, thank you. Um, I mean, so the first thing to say is uh, telecoms is not my background. Um, so I spent my career working in retail uh, and started in sustainability in retail. So I worked in briefly in the CSR team at John Lewis uh, and then at Selfridges for quite a long time. Uh, and then... And then I had a baby and I thought, you know, yeah, it's that, that moment in life where everything kind of goes up in the air. Um, I had a baby just before lockdown. Uh, so came back from mat leave, from lockdown and everything else and thought, right, probably time to do something a bit different. Um, and this job came up and I, I'll be honest, I didn't really know what OpenReach did. Um, when I started, somebody said, oh, what OpenReach do broadband, don't they? I'm sure they do loads more than that. And I thought, well, yeah, maybe. Uh, turns out that's huge. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, but I looked at this role and I thought this sounds fascinating. So, um, yeah, I've been at Overreach now for just over two years um, and I'm loving it. Like infrastructure feels nerdily very interesting, but also it's important. You know, this is in retail. John Lewis and Selfridges, they sell lovely things, but we don't really need a lot of it. Uh, but most people need broadband for education for training for jobs um for just life and it it helps so um yeah it's a great place to be oh good good so can you share a bit more about open reaches sustainability initiatives and goals i guess you have quite a lot of them yeah we do um so uh what i inherited we are a subsidiary of bt group so i inherited part of the bt strategy uh, which is, you know, we've got a science-based target. Um, we've got a fairly sophisticated carbon reduction plan. Um, and a lot of that for OpenReach is built around our fleet. Uh, we operate the second biggest van fleet in the UK. Um, so uh, while we are a, a sort of a digital and, and tech company, our biggest impact is actually just diesel emissions of all the vans that you see everywhere driving around the UK. Um, so we're on a mission to convert the fleet to zero emissions by uh 2031 it's it's the financial year so um march 2031 um and that's that's been going great guns and if i hadn't landed that would still be still be um doing its thing we've got some great people in our fleet team who know all about alternative fuels and uh we install chargers at engineers homes so that's kind of doing doing what it's doing um and then uh our network is powered by renewable energy um which you know we can dig into buying Rigos and, and sourcing renewable and how good that actually is. So we're, we're trying to reduce our consumption at the same time. Um, and then we had uh, sort of an ambition to be circular. Uh, so uh, one of the things I was given was actually, can you make that mean something? Um, you know, where do we go with this? Um, so I looked at those two things and thought, okay, carbon is, is kind of, they're getting on with that. Uh, circular, there's quite a lot of work to do. Uh, what about nature? 
And if you've been in the sustainability space uh, over the last few years, uh, the noise on nature and biodiversity is absolutely deafening. It is the kind of the fastest grow growing part of part of uh, the conversation we're having. So um, I've added that in as kind of key pillar to the strategy. So um, at OpenReach, that means you know we build through all landscapes. We build everywhere. So subsea, out to all of the rural islands off Scotland and Cornwall and everywhere else. Um, so we have a direct impact. Uh, you know, if you are living somewhere quite remote, you might have lots of protected landscape around you, uh, but you also probably want a broadband connection. So um, how do we do that in the best possible way? Um, so those broadly form kind of three main pillars. Uh, so we've got carbon, circular economy and nature. I think circular is sort of uh, the connecting pillar. It's how you achieve uh, the other two. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what keeps me busy. Yeah, we uh, we hear so much of that and the challenges, and obviously there's new regulations coming in that support um, the nature piece, uh, but doing it in the right way. So that's really good to to hear. Um, how does that all align with the overall business strategy? Because you know, obviously it's a business, and there's a lot of people that work there. How do you put it all together? Um, I mean it's. There's this an element that we've sort of been doing it like this anyway for quite a long time. Um, I think one of the key drivers through the cost of living crisis and, and sort of the various credit crunches and stuff we've been through in the last probably 20 years means that efficiency is, is very sharp as, as a kind of lens on, on business. And efficiency and sustainability go absolutely hand in hand. So that circular economy piece of how do you maximize the value out of the stuff that you use how do you use less stuff how do you recover and and retain value um is is big uh so we've been extracting copper we sit we sit on a copper mine um so we've been extracting the old copper network as it becomes more and more redundant so while we're building fiber uh we're moving people off the old copper network that's been in the ground for in some areas up to 100 years um and copper is hugely valuable so um there's uh, again, if if I hadn't turned up, they'd still be extracting and recycling that copper because there's there's huge value to it, um, and so that element of it, I think, is is firmly established. Um, the EV bit is challenging because, as you would expect, with a workforce of our size, you've got everybody from I am out uh, handcuffing myself to Waterloo Bridge with Extinction Rebellion right through to carbon uh, or climate climate change is a myth and I don't believe we should be doing anything on this and everybody in between so um that gives us some interesting challenges because the expectation is that everybody who drives for open reach by 2030 will be in a zero emissions vehicle um we're up to 4,000 out of a fleet of about 28,000 at the moment uh and that's mostly been people putting their hand up and saying I really want to do this uh, as we go forward, um, there's a bit more that we're going to have to do to really get people to understand why this is great. And within that population, people who are kind of like, I'll oh, just sit and wait for a bit, because I've heard that technology is evolving so quickly that uh, if I wait for another couple of years, I'll get a really good band with even more range. Uh, and then some people who are like, you'll never get me into an EV, I'm not doing it. Um, and I think that reflects, uh, I don't know if you saw the piece from the House of Lords yesterday. Um, it's the first thing from the government on EV that I've seen that talks about the behavioural change that we're asking people to do. Yeah. Because we've all sat in the back of our parents' car and they've gone for petrol and 
you know, you, 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 that becomes a sort of muscle memory. We all know how that, whether you drive or not, you know how that goes. Uh, charging an EV is a behavioral change and it may not be significant, but for some people it is. It's enough of a shift that it makes them uncomfortable. So yes. we're trying to take a lot of our workforce through that, um, which, uh, yeah, there's there's kind of a mixed, you know, we've got absolute diehard, I love my EV uh, drivers who are kind of going around Scotland going, isn't this brilliant? Uh, so we've got one driver who's trialing a, a tonner for us in Scotland and he absolutely loves it. Um, and then, yeah, we've got a few who we will have to convince a bit harder. So yeah, it's hard. And, you know, there's lots of myths out there. Uh, I was listening to LBC this morning and it was one of the topics um, on that. And I did um, an interview and a webinar with uh, Quentin Wilson. And it was it was fantastic to bust those myths because um, and I've spoken to loads of EV drivers and you're right. It is just it's a change in. But I think sustainability is like that. It's a mindset change on on the whole. Do you get um, much support from, you know, it's a huge company. Do you get much support from the board and does it filter down? Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, as with any board, you've got kind of your different sort of levers that people are pulling. So uh, I'll say, you know, RFD is probably the kind of hardest in terms of scrutiny. Um, but yeah, various members of our boards, especially, and, and you know, this is this is a cheap shot really, isn't it? But the kind of the sort of um, dad mentality, uh, there is quite a lot of um, emotion around what are we leaving for our kids? How can I have that conversation with my child of you know what did I do what did I contribute um so I've got a huge amount of support uh and I get regular time with our CEO and with our board um I think the the challenge is not the kind of you know there's a lot of thumbs up and we want to do this but then it's translating it into the everyday because yeah yeah we want to do sustainability and we're just building um so sort of putting those parallels in for the teams below the board actually um, to make it part of their everyday and make it make sense for everybody is, is a major part of, of what we're working on. Um, because I think at grassroots level, there are some really clear asks mm -hmm. and at board level, there are some really clear asks. And for that population in the middle, they're kind of like, well, I'm just targeted on how much we've built our customer service and, and those kind of metrics. So um, yeah, starting to weave it into more of the, how do you manage your team and how does this add value to the business um, is, is what we're going through. It's hard to balance it out, isn't it? Because the more sustainable businesses come, the more business that they'll win um, from the changes that they're making. But then there's growth there. And I think that growth and balancing that out, but then making sure that you're doing good. If everybody did better and did good, then then we wouldn't be in this position in the first place. Um, do you have specific achievements or milestones that you've you've reached in reducing your environmental impact? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned we've got uh, we I said we've got 4000. We're, we're sort of very nearly at 4000. We will be by sort of the end of this year. Um, financially, yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds like an, a very early admission. Um, so that one's that one's really big. Um, in terms of other big milestones, I think the biggest things have been kind of uh, getting recognition for uh, bits of the strategy. So we've started to pilot the TNFD. Uh, we've joined IEMA, the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment. Um, we've joined the UK Business and Biodiversity Forum. So we are out there kind of learning, networking. Uh, we sit, I sit on um, the Digital Connectivity Forum's Climate and Sustainability Working Group. There's a lot of alphabets on there, lots of acronyms. Um, so 
while they're not necessarily kind of big achievements and in previous roles there have been stuff that I can say oh we banned this or we did that and it's amazing um there's a sort of a more of a sea change it's a, it's a kind of groundswell um at open reach that feels like we are really moving in the right direction without necessarily having any kind of big big wins I mean EV program is definitely some big wins uh we are also up for um four awards in the sustainability and tech awards tomorrow for one of our planning tools so um yeah we'll see. that might be one a big one to celebrate i think that's exciting um you mentioned before about renewable energy how do you that must be quite a uh, big for you guys how do you incorporate that um i mean it, it's it's one of those quite simple uh, we source renewables so um and what I mean is, you know, we are buying through power purchase agreements and things like that. We're, we're buying renewable energy and we buy regos to offset uh, some of the bits we can't control. So um, engineers charging at home, we we don't know what our engineers tariffs are um, for. Uh, and this is kind of up at BT group level for shops. So shops like EE that may be in shopping malls. And again, we don't own that. that um, we don't have that that control. Uh, so we do regos to offset that, diesel generators that are backup power and things like that. We are sort of dipping our toe into renewable generation. Uh, so we've got some solar um, in uh, Northern Ireland more than anywhere else. And this is just one of those weird contract things where uh, there's lots of um, sort of open reach BT operated exchanges and we lease them and we don't have the rights to the roof. Uh, the roofs are leased out to somebody from mobile master or something like that. So we can't just slap solar on it, even though we've got quite a big estate. It's not actually ours. Whereas in Northern Ireland, uh, we own the building. So, um, yeah, we're, we're putting solar in, in there. Um, and then we talk about where else we might. So uh, I was talking to one of our training school team and they've got um, they have it's like a shipping container and they do training for how you go kind of underground if you if you have to go and do some confined space work. And she said, oh, I could probably put solar on the top of just my shipping container. So it may not be massive, but there is that appetite to kind of do bits where we can where we can do bits. Um, but yeah, the, the stuff in Northern Ireland is is significant uh, and will grow, I think. Yeah. Do you find it hard to um, get solar? Is it, is it something that's easily available? Because often people say it's difficult to get and to get the right one. Um. I could talk about my personal experiences this very recently. Uh, I've had my scaffolding taken down and I don't have solar as of yesterday uh, because it was that challenging, but um, that's a different story. Um, I mean, we're engineers and so we, we uh, so there there is a future conversation of, you know, we have highly trained engineers who do um, work in this sort of space and what else could we get them doing? So we are looking at kind of installing uh, whether it's EV charging, solar, that kind of stuff. So what does a workforce do? Once we've kind of done the big fibre build, there are still uh, engineers who are quite highly trained or technicians. Um, and I think there is that appetite of, you know, could we maybe explore avenues like that in future? Um, I'm not aware of anyone having major challenges getting hold of solar, but we're not buying on, on huge scales. You know, we've got... Um, uh, we've got our sort of, uh, tech and innovation space out in Ipswich and they've got solar and it was fine. But, you know, we're not we're not talking big solar farms. Uh, we're just a few on a roof of uh, various different buildings. So nothing yet. But hopefully um, our copper recycling supports that because we're enabling kind of more uh, of the, uh, the kind of green transition 
to have recycled copper as part of that component. So, yeah. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about supply chain. It's something that I see coming up all the time, especially because larger companies are starting to change their policies or with their suppliers because obviously it falls under the scope three um do you have policies in place are you pushing and actually seeing that top down from the the larger companies it's it means that smaller companies have to go more into uh becoming more sustainable what what are you doing with your suppliers yeah on on sort of both levels if i talk about us and our suppliers and then us as a supplier um because we're in sort of in the middle of that ecosystem um so for all contracts uh, over a certain threshold uh, we have a carbon contract clause uh, and what that means is uh, they have to measure the carbon at the start of the contract and demonstrate a reduction in carbon during the life of the contract um so uh, that uh, comes to life most with our subcontractors kind of labor partners so there's a lot of people you'll see vans tootling around saying building on behalf of Openreach. Uh, so we work quite a lot with those teams to look at kind of what they can do. Um, and some of that is, is fairly simple. Actually, can you just go and source renewables? Um, can you join us on this journey to convert van fleets? Because we've got all of our vans and then they've got all their vans. And you know, so uh, the more we can share learning and, and that stuff, uh, the better. Um, through the uh, so I mentioned the Digital Connectivity Forum. Um, there's this working group and it's a kind of cross-sector telco group. And we share loads of suppliers, you know, everyone who's building infrastructure and everyone who's in that telco space, we're all using a, a sort of a cohort of, of the same people. So we've said, uh, what can we do to help? So we pulled together some guidelines for SMEs, um, which on that spectrum of, oh my God, I'm a one-man band and I haven't even got a clue where to start, what, what do I do and why should I? Through to the slightly kind of more of the M and the SME, um, the sort of bigger enterprises who maybe are a bit further down the line, but want to understand what kind of data we're going to be demanding of them, um, who's put weightings into contracts on, on this stuff. So um, every uh, procurement contract in OpenReach has a 15% weighting for sustainability. Wow. So um, it's, it becomes relevant to every business, um, but it may be for, for a group of people who don't have the bandwidth to hire somebody for sustainability to kind of go, well, what is it you want of me? I haven't got time to go and read the Greenhead gas protocol. Uh, just tell me, tell me easily what it is. So, um, yeah, we do, we do work with that sort of sector, uh, part of the sector as well. And then on the other side, um, you know, OpenReach underpins BT, Sky, TalkTalk, Talk, Zen, Vodafone, and sort of various others. Uh, and all of them, you've only got to go onto Sky's website with their, um, was it the bigger picture and the you know, rainforest rescue and ocean rescue and things like that. Their sustainability um, sort of efforts are huge. Uh, our competitors are really growing in this space. Uh, so we do get asks that become more and more commercial in the same way as we're asking our suppliers, we are being asked as well. Um, so we are responding to that and working as collaboratively as we can across the sector to uh, to meet those demands. But a lot of those are around. We are their scope three. So what are we doing uh, and uh, and how on track are we? So, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of scrutiny. Yeah. And I think that's important. But also you mentioned about that education piece for SMEs. It's important to bring them on board because, you know, we talk about this stuff every day, but even when I speak to friends and family, 
they have no clue what I'm talking about. They really, you know, a lot of people are just carrying on with their everyday lives. And it is, it's that education. How do we, and not in a way that talks about activism and what's going on with people like Just the Pile, which is what they see, but actually how that it can benefit them and, you know, what what good it is, is doing. I think that's really important, that education piece. Um, obviously, uh, being the type of company you are, what, like, electronic waste must be a big issue for you, or, or is it? Maybe wrong it's, it's not, actually. Um, if you think about what we do, um, waste is an issue for us, but electronic waste is, is not a huge part of it. You know, we don't do devices, laptops, phones, and things like that. Um, it is a massive problem for the sector. Mm. Um, I think uh, I read a stat that said that the UK is going to become the biggest producer of e-waste in 2024 in the world per capita. And you think, oh, that seems grim. So I think there are there are ways that we have to intervene. And this is this is where these kind of sector working groups, I think, really come to the fore because you've got all parts of that ecosystem. So we might not produce much in terms of e-waste, and we do, we, we have cable waste. Uh, we reuse bits that we can. So we've got, um, uh, as we're, this is tacky, but as we're kind of switching off redundant and sort of legacy network, uh, we're reusing mine cards and things like that. Um, and so there's a process there. Uh, I know colleagues at BT work on all kinds of exciting futuristic things. Um, there's uh, a process where they're bio-leaching circuitry so um, literally kind of bathe it in, um, somebody will watch this and go, she doesn't know what she's talking about. Uh, <laughs> bathe it in enzymes and it just leaches out all of the rare metals. Um, I know exactly the person who's gonna look at that and go, nah. But uh, yeah, there's, there's some great solutions I think coming in this space. Uh, but I mean, the biggest one for me is, um, we're all sitting here, sustainability people, and probably all of us have got a laptop, an iPad, an iPod touch, an old phone, that is just sitting in a drawer and I definitely do and I know the problem and I think if you sort of extrapolate that out across the UK if we know the problem in terms of supply chains and kind of hoarding little bits of gold and lithium and things like that and we are in that solution space for everybody else who doesn't know doesn't care actually there's, there's a lot of just unused kit that's just kicking around in people's houses and, and what is the intervention that the sector could make on that uh, the sort of point with, with OpenReach, and this is not something we've really explored, but OpenReach engineers come into your house. You know, they come and, and install stuff into everybody's house. But for every network um, that's on the OpenReach network, it's an OpenReach person that will come and do that, that, that fit. So actually, if we were to say, hey, while we're here, do you want to put some of your old kit into an envelope and send it back or, or something? Yeah. Then, you know, there's a way that we can start to tackle that. Um, so yeah, I mean it's 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 a big issue. Uh, I know they were talking about urban mining. That actually, there's so much probably just in landfill that we could supply um, and and sort of deal with some of the, of the supply chain issues we've got globally. So yeah, yeah, I, I I think you're right there, and you know I think that more can be done with companies where they help people with their waste of their materials because often. You know, you might have an old laptop because you're worried about the data and someone getting hold of that. So you just think, oh, I'm just going to leave it in my cupboard and it's safe there and no one's going to be. A... I mean, I actually probably got a laptop um, from about 15 years ago sitting in, in a cupboard somewhere. Um, but, um, yeah, I think 
that engagement from people that they're, they're there anyway. They could just have that conversation. Oh, do you want us to help you? And then yeah. it's, it's got to be easy. All of these solutions have to be easy for yeah. people. To do. So it's the same as the EV thing. You know, for me, I've got, I've definitely got a couple of like phones and laptops and it's the photos. I'm like, oh yeah, at some point I'll go and get the photos off that. And then I don't mind, but I haven't got round to it. And I don't know where the charger is. And so it just sits there because I don't want to let go because it's got those photos on it. I haven't looked at them in years. So. Yeah. I know. I'm pretty much the same. Although the last time I changed my phone, I returned my old phone in. So, you know, that circularity, I think. I think that and it, that's it, how the US solves it. So yeah. the US consumes a huge amount, but they have such good incentives to return old kit that they don't they don't hoard it in the way that we do. And that's why the UK is so bad, because there's just no real incentive yet. And it's it's a bit difficult and there's not really any value, so why bother? And yeah. it's small, so it doesn't take up a load of space in your house. You're like, oh, I'll just stick it in a drawer. Yeah. Um, so as a company, you are spending so much time in different communities um, around uh, around the UK. What what do you do to like, is there much work within the community? Um, how do you engage with with communities? Yeah, I mean, sort of loads of different ways. Uh, there's obviously the kind of the big operational way, you know, we are working with communities in terms of how we build and when we build because the majority of people want better, faster broadband. Uh, again, since lockdown, it's it just underpins everything that we do. Um, so if you're watching something and it buffers or if you're both trying to do Teams calls or any, any of those things. So we work really closely with communities just on the operational side of it. Um, but also uh, we're, we're everywhere. And and by that, I mean, you know, OpenReach engineers live everywhere and they are hugely passionate about their own kind of community causes. Um, so we offer three volunteering days per year. Um, oh, so everyone can come go and yeah, it's good. Um, and you know, we've got a workplace group, and you hear some of the stories and people kind of doing stuff in their local communities that goes far beyond three days. Um, but we've got people doing all kinds of sponsor stuff, we've got postcards, we've got um, I'm a trustee for a wildlife trust, as you mentioned. Um, it, there's there's tons of activity that I think then speaks to people's passions and kind of local. Um, so what what their local circuit or um, sphere is is interested in and what they're interested in. Uh, we do have some bigger partnerships at sort of BT group level. So we work with Home Start. Um, we work with UNICEF and we uh, work with the Wildlife Trusts as an umbrella organisation. Yeah. Um, so there's kind of bits that sort of ripple out uh, through those. Uh, so we had a big Home Start drive in the run up to Christmas um, where engineers can kind of gather gifts and things like that um but yeah there's a lot of energy for it uh and, and even just you know we had teams in wales last year putting uh doing um litter picks on the beach in south wales we had uh teams with cherry pickers putting up swift boxes with the north wales wildlife trust um so it's sort of it's it's everything and everywhere yeah um, which is is lovely you know when i started i thought oh this is there's just so much going on. It's kind of hard to get a picture, but actually the beauty of it is that there's so much going on and you don't want to sort of pin it down to one cause or one thing. It's, we are very diverse and therefore, you know, have a diverse set of interests and support. That's really good. And that three days, um, actually, I think you're the first company and I've spoken to lots and lots of organisations. I think that you're the first company that I've heard of that gives three days volunteering. So- Amazing amazing um really really good to hear um 
What about, uh, I mean, obviously you have quite a, a big team in the uh, within sustainability, but what about for other employees getting involved in your sustainability efforts? Do you have much engagement? Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, honestly, if I were to kind of go and drill any engineer who I ran into on the street, well, what are we doing on sustainability? I think they would sing the hymn sheet. They would say, oh, you know, we've got to drive an EV and we've got to put things in the right bin and, and that, that kind of stuff. But they probably don't know much in a sort of more sophisticated way than that. And I think at the moment that's fine. Um, what I we, we started with a bit of how do you inspire your employees? Um, so uh, I don't know if you've come across the team at Couch to Carbon Zero. Love yeah. them. Yeah. They watch um so we did we did a session with our senior leadership team with them and then we also dipped into paw print and we got employees onto paw print and then the feedback we got was oh this is all well and good but it's like you guys should do it but what is openreach doing so i thought you know that's fair we haven't been really clear in communicating our own strategy um, and we've got a big launch coming up uh sort of in the early part of spring uh, where we will talk a lot more about what we've been doing because we've done tons but if you go onto the website it says we've got an EV fleet um, and actually there's loads of brilliant case studies so um, yeah we're going to talk, talk a lot more and then I think once we can say do you know what that we are doing a lot of stuff and it's good and this is how you can play your part in your day job and then also over and above that here's how you can improve things at home that becomes more credible um, because for a lot of people they're kind of like, oh you just want me to recycle when I'm at home or bring a reusable bottle and actually that doesn't touch the surface really yeah. um so I mean we do have uh so I've mentioned workplace we do have a workplace group called green matters uh which has got a lot of people who are very passionate who share lots of good news stories and and sort of positive stuff on sustainability and I find that really inspiring I go in I find all, all kinds of stuff that I've not heard before so um yeah that's a great group um and hoping that will grow over the next year or so yeah, and I think as more people hear about it and they want to learn further, hey, you can just share this video with everyone and they'll learn so much about what you're doing. Um, um, let's talk a little bit about compliance um, and environmental regulations. So we've mentioned a few actually throughout the conversation, but how do you ensure uh, your compliance with, with regulations? You said SPI, I think. that. So science-based targets, yeah. Um... Yeah, I mean, so we are governed by the BT Group team. So in terms of sort of mandatory disclosures, so things like TCFD, TNFD, CSRD, etc. Again, alphabet soup. Um, <laughs> that's all. We we supply quite a lot of data and case studies, but we don't fill it in. So that's all done at Group. Um, in terms of environmental compliance, we've got a brilliant team uh, in our our legal um, legal team uh, who look after compliance, both with kind of hazards um sort of the environmental re uh, regulations so if we're building through a certain landscape how do we make sure that we are not cutting tree roots thicker than a human finger or how do we you know what do we do if we come into contact with a bird's nest so um there are some really strict rules around things like that um there's processes for kind of pests invasive species and rare and endangered species and and, and that side of it um, and that becomes part of the checks that our teams do every day. So they have to do safety checks. Uh, uh, they, they they will come back every so often. Sometimes I get these uh, these little messages on Teams. I've just found this snake. What is it? I'm like, oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
um, and so we do consult a little bit. So if we don't have the answers, we, you know, we work with an environmental agency who um, uh, we have a hotline. So if you do come into contact with something and you're like, oh, I don't know what to do here, whether it's because you've just accidentally spilled something or you've come up against a bird and you're like, oh, I don't know, um, then you can just phone and get support on that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there's there's lots of ways. Um, and I, I mentioned this this tool, we've got this planning tool uh, that's up for sustainability awards. Um, the awards are actually for net zero because by planning really carefully, we reduce the amount we need to drive. Um, but actually they've just announced or, or just agreed a kind of an addition. So it's a software update that will go into that planning tool that makes it really clear when you're building through protected areas of landscape. So whether it's kind of triple SIs, wetland sites, all of that, um, so that everybody is on the same page, you know, uh, and then there'll be a, okay, so what, you know, so I'm building through this triple SI, uh, the option, you know, do you reroute? Can you reroute? If you can't and you have to dig through it, then what should you do? Um, so yeah, they're building just, uh, we are a tech company. So actually building the tech solutions that really help that. I think the um, innovation that is coming is, that's what's exciting is there's the, the we, we're growing and learning and all the time. And actually as innovations are coming in, it's going to help us to be more sustainable because it's going to put simple things in that we didn't know about. Actually, if you took this route, it's going to reduce your mileage and your emissions by X, Y, Z. That that's where like there's there's still so much more to come. Although obviously, yeah, I mean tech. So I was I was chairing a panel with IEMA last week, and it was on tech and digital de decarbonisation. I said I, I thought it's really carefully worded because it's there's decarbonisation of tech, which obviously has a significant footprint, and then there's tech for decarbonisation, and all of those tools, you know, on Google Maps where it's got the little green leaf and that's the most yeah. environmentally friendly route. Or um, I don't think this is rolled out in the UK, but um, Google Maps again maps a roof, and so you can map how much solar you can have on it. I think that might have only arrived in the US. Um, we saw that when we met at that conference. Oh, is that, is that where? I, yeah. like, I, I know, it's amazing. Yeah. So there are solutions. And, you know, AI is a scary space, but I think there is so much positive kind of green tech uh, that will help. And we don't have all the solutions, right? So, you know, anyone who can come up with something that's going to help, I think, at this point is welcome. Yeah. it's. I think that it's exciting. You know, I often talk about... Um, the opportunity in sustainability and the benefits and like why it's so important but um, it, it's it's good to to see so much innovation coming every day I'm always seeing new things and I think that's why you know I can do this podcast and it changes even though I, I speak to people in similar roles there's there's different industries doing different things and other industries learning from each other but I feel like it's the first sector that I've seen where there's no real competitiveness because everyone wants to educate I'm others sure. to help everyone I'm else along the way yeah yeah do you know we, we were talking to the environment agency recently and they've got all of these like jazzy weather things that you know predict floods and stuff like that and they are dependent on our tech but they're also protecting our tech because so um we've got flood mitigation plans so you know if, if an exchange builder goes underwater it's a problem more of a problem for copper than for fiber um so i thought this there's this weird circularity isn't it that you know we are underpinning the system that notifies us if the system's a threat um 
And so, you know, there's that symbiosis that I think really illustrates what sustainability is about. You know, we've got to work pretty competitively, collaboratively, yeah. because we don't have all the answers and, and nobody's going to get there by themselves. And no, if they did, it would be no. miserable, wouldn't it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. SDG 17, isn't it? Collaboration. Um, uh, two more questions. Uh, the the first one is um, challenges. What do you find as a business of your size? What are, you, your, what are your biggest challenges when it comes to being more sustainable or sustainability? Um, I think we are in a very competitive build program. So uh, the fibre build across the UK is is major and it's a bit of a dogfight. You know, there's there's open reach who are kind of established and then there's lots of competitors who are really credible. And so there is this, it's, it's all about speed. It's all about kind of pace of delivery and how fast can people build? Um, and then there is this cost scrutiny. So in an industry where you've got to go fast and, and cheap, or not cheap, but you know, for the biggest bang for your buck, uh, sustainability can feel like a distraction because with talking about sort of longer horizons, um, some of the, the things that we want to be talking about or the solutions that we're, we're offering don't have the quick return on investment that business planning horizons usually operate to. So it can be really hard to make a business case for something that, you know, uh, we want to put in this, this nature um, addition to our planning tool. And somebody said, well, what's the return on investment? I thought, well, there's not. It's compliance. We have to do it. Um, but when there's competing um, or, or competition for a resource internally and everyone's kind of like, you know, what is the, the thing that is going to get us there faster and getting us there faster is, is building as much as we can. Um, sometimes those conversations just don't feel like they are the main priority. Mm. Um, so despite the fact that we have this backing from the exec and they want to do better, uh, the beating heart of our business is still about delivery. Um, you know, how much have we built and how fast and what are our customer service results and, and that kind of conversation. So um, I think, and this is probably true in every every business, just being able to make this front of mind enough that it's credible mm. enough that it weaves into processes that you get that voice at the table. Um, yeah, and it's, it's an ongoing challenge because I know that there are lots of people who who are interested, who know that it's the right thing, but in the moment, be like, oh yeah, you know, I should do that training on nature, but actually I'm just going to do this thing that is going to get me a bit further. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I find like, I mean, I love doing the podcast and obviously I see the watch times and people watching, I break it up into little snippets as well. And the snippets, sometimes uh, the views are massive compared to, you know, the, the length of the whole podcast, but it's about taking little chunks. Um, I, I think that that, bite-sized chunks of information you know when we see things like tiktok and instagram stories and things yeah fast people and unfortunately people want to consume information really really quicker although even that sector is saying that people are looking for more longer videos and longer it's having both it's having the teaser that kind yeah. of gets you in and and sometimes it's it's just making people stop and think you know so i've, I've been I've been wanging on about telegraph polls which sounds incredibly nerdy, um, but there's four million telegraph poles across the UK, and you will have walked past a zillion of them, and every every day, and nobody thinks about them. And um, I was lucky enough uh, back in December to spend a bit of time with our supplier, who sources them from Finland. So you know, I got three days in a magical forest in Finland looking at at trees just before Christmas, 
um, which I'm not gonna lie, was one of the best experiences of my life, even though they are deforesting. It, it, they're not on scale deforesting and they're not on balance deforesting because it's they are um, uh, replanted uh, yeah, a rate of, I think, more than double. Um, but you start thinking about what is a telegraph pole made of? And I've had so many conversations with people. They're like, never even thought that they were trees. Didn't you think about it? And then you talk about the kind of markings on the telegraph pole. Oh, I didn't. Yeah, Scots pine. Wow. Oh. <laughs> yeah, so they are predominantly Scots pine trees um, grown in the Nordics because in the winter where it's really, really cold, uh, the tree goes into hibernation. So they grow very, very slowly, which means that your average telegraph pole will have grown for about 80 years before it's harvested. So it's sequestering carbon for all that time. Then it stands in our network for another, say, 50. So it's still sequestering carbon while the next lot are grown. Um, so it makes quite a nice kind of carbon store. Yeah. Um, but also just, you know, they are they are trees and they are everywhere. And yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. So, um yeah, we've started to kind of just hook people in with that. Oh, I hadn't really thought about that. And then you can start to talk about infrastructure, supply chain, sustainability. Um, they're all sustainably certified, you know, that that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's finding the hook. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, I, I try to do that when I put this out there and I'll certainly take some snippets. It'll probably be that last snippet, but the um, the uh Polls. Um, my final question is, are, you know, you've obviously been through so much over your years of experience, but is there anything that you can share with anybody else that's in this space that um, some lessons you've learned um, that can help others on their journey? Yeah, and I, this this one is I'm really passionate about. Um, it This takes everybody. So no matter what you do, what your background is, um it like it's good it's going to take every skill set and everybody um i was on some it was like a speed networking thing for 17 year olds who wanted to work in sustainability and one of them said oh my teacher says if i haven't done geography and biology i can't work in sustainability i thought what's up that like i my degree i specialized in anglo-saxon uh which isn't a big transferable skill as it goes um but you know for sustainability we need really kind of techie people who are coming up with the solutions. We need the accountants and the analysts who are going to kind of make the business cases. We need the kind of creative marketeers to engage people and tell people, tell the story. You know, we need absolutely everybody. So if you want to work in sustainability, no matter what your background and what you do, then do, um, because there are lots of jobs and uh, we need everybody. I I completely agree. I mean, I, you know, I was in sustainability 10 years ago um, and then fell out of it for a chunk and went back into it three years. The things that I have learned over the last three years and learn every single day, I know that, you know, you don't need a degree in environmental science or you just need... Well, your degree would be obsolete because it's moved yeah. so Yeah, exactly, exactly. But... Abby, I, I have loved, loved, loved this conversation. I have learned so much and I am looking forward to watching it back and taking in even more of it and sharing it with my audience. I really, really appreciate your time. And I think so many people are going to take some snippets out of this and learn. I, I would love to have gone on for much, much longer. But as we say, people like um, shorter videos. So thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And yeah, keep doing amazing work. Oh, you're really welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been brilliant. Thanks.